So if you turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 3, and I'm just going to begin by reading this to you. It's a very relatively short chapter, 21 verses. And so let's just read it, and then we're going to take the time to go through it. It says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And it shall be if he calls you that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called out as as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel that which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile and did not restrain them, and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he answered, here I am. And he said, What is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you, and more, so, more also, if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And so the title of the message here this, morning, here this evening is Hearing the Lord. And, you know, life, I think, has always been challenging to navigate in this world. And it seems like in recent years, um, it's become more challenging to navigate. So many voices and opinions vying for our attention, right? Speaking and trying to get us to go here and to go there. You know, many things, many people speaking and trying to direct our lives in different directions and towards different endeavors. But as believers, we have the blessing of seeking the Lord for direction. And and that's what I hope we can see tonight from this study is is the importance of hearing the, the the voice of the Lord. You know, and if you think about it, God speaking is what God has been doing from the beginning, right? From the very beginning of creation, we see God speaking. And in fact, his speaking is what created the world. He spoke the world into existence. We see there in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Um, and over and over, it says, then God said, and this thing or that thing was created. 
The created world and all of that exists, exists because God spoke. And all creation is really a testament of the fact that God speaks. And we can see and witness that by looking at creation. So from the very beginning, Lord wants us to know is that he speaks. And we see there also in those early chapters of Genesis that he spoke to Adam directly. He spoke to him there in the garden and to Eve. And so we have right there, right at the start, we see God speaks to people. And throughout the Old Testament, we see God speaking to individuals and to a nation. And it's something he did over and over again through those he, wrote, he ra- would raise up to lead through prophets and others he would speak. And the very fact tonight that we have the Bible in our hands is testament to the truth that God speaks to us. It's his written word. It's what he's given to reveal his, himself and to reveal truth to us. And so I think something important for us to recognize and remember tonight is that God has spoken in the past. He is speaking today, and he will speak in the future. Our God is a communicator. He communicates to us. And so that brings us here tonight to the passage here in 1 Samuel chapter 3, where we see God speak to a young boy and reveal um, something that he was going to do to him, uh, do uh, to Eli and his family, he spe- but he speaks this to Samuel. And we see right there in the first three verses, we kind of get a description of the situation. So in verses one through three, we see spiritual darkness that's there at the time. And the first thing we see in verse one is there is a scarcity, scarcity of God's word. God's word is lacking at this time. It says, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And so why was that the situation? Was it because God didn't want to speak? And I think the answer is no. And we get a little insight from Judges chapter 21, 25, where it says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so this is still that time period, the time period of Judges. Um, In fact, Eli was a judge over the land, and Samuel was going to become the last judge before the kings were, before the first king was brought in to rule over the nation. And so the people were doing what was right in their eyes. They weren't seeking the Lord. And as we'll point out here tonight from looking at 1 Samuel chapter 3, the spiritual leaders were not seeking the Lord. And so therefore, the reason that there was a lack of God's word was because no one was interested in it. You know, they didn't have a desire for it. You know, uh, their view of God as a whole was very low as a nation. Um, So low, in fact, that they really viewed him no differently than the unbelieving nations around them. And you can definitely see that in the next chapter here, 1 Samuel. If you go into 1 Samuel chapter 4, you know, they go into battle against the Philistines, and they're defeated. And so they're decided, well, it's because God wasn't with us. And their idea of God being with them was, we need to go get the ark. And so they go get the ark, and they bring it, and really they're treating the ark of God like a good luck charm. (laughs) And treating God just as other nations would treat their gods. You know, we got to have this object here, and then we'll have victory. And so, you know, so in many ways, they were no different than the nations around them. And so that's why there was a lack of God's word. It wasn't that God didn't want to speak. God did want to speak. But, uh, you know, Jesus, I think, reminded us of something that's related to this in the New Testament. Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine, right? So what Jesus is saying is there don't, God doesn't waste his words on people that don't want to hear, <laughs> you know? And 
there have been times where God has spoke and God does give prophecy to his people even when they're obstinate. But there comes a point where God's like, okay, if you don't want to hear what I have to say, I'm not going to say anything else to you. And that's kind of where they were here in 1 Samuel. And so again, I think it's important for us to recognize is God wanted to speak and we see him speak here in 1 Samuel chapter 3, but they didn't want to hear him. So we also see, we're given a little more of the setting in uh, verse 2, we're told something about Eli. We're given a physical, uh, his physical description. We're told that he was blind. He basically, his, his eyes were dim. He could not see. And obviously, that's a physical description. But I think it's also a spiritual description of the nation spiritually, and of Eli in particular. You know, there was blindness. There was spiritual blindness because, again, there wasn't this desire to follow after the Lord. In fact, one of the things God rebukes Eli for um, is that he honored his sons above the Lord. And that's one of the reasons judgment was going to come to them as a family. And so, <clears throat> so what's going on here? You know, Eli, again, physically blind, but also, I think, a picture of the spiritual blindness. And then verse 3, we're told, <clears throat> given kind of the setting of when this takes place, of when Samuel, when God speaks to Samuel. And it says, Before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down. And so that's the setting. There was this, <clears throat> the menorah that was there in the tabernacle. It was the lamp that was, God had given them to fill with oil and to keep burning. And in Leviticus chapter 24, 1 through 4, this lamp is mentioned. And it was the job of the priests to keep it burning. Um, and so this verse is describing for us the fact that it was near, basically near morning time is when the vision or when the word came to Samuel. Um, the lamp had not gone out yet. It was near the end of the oil in the lamp. And again, for the need for the lamp to be refilled. But I also think to me, it's another picture of the fact that despite the spiritual darkness, the lamp of God was still burning. God's light was still there in the nation. And God had not um, forsaken them. He had not abandoned them despite where they were. His light was still burning. And he was about to do something through Samuel that was going to help to bring the nation attention back to the Lord. And so we have this description. It's early morning hours, though, uh, here before when God comes to speak. Um, so <clears throat> that's what I think the writers there are describing. And, you know, Samuel also, uh, the New King James doesn't bring this out as clearly, but all the other translations I read uh, in verse 3, it gives the description. It sounds like Samuel is very nearby where the Ark of the Covenant was at very close in proximity. Obviously, he wouldn't have been in the Holy of Holies because only the high priest could go in there once a year, but he was close to that, close by. He was near, and, um, and perhaps it was his task because of Eli's age and condition to help keep the lamp burning and to supply the lamp with oil. And, but I think what we see here, just by his proximity of where he's at, is Samuel had a desire to be near God, to be near the house, to be near the house of the Lord, to be in the Lord's presence. And that's the same heart that David expressed in Psalm 27, verse 4. There David says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And so that heart, to be in the presence of the Lord, to be where the Lord is at, and to be near the Lord. And that, that's something I think we see here very early on about Samuel. So that brings us here to the next set of verses, verses 4 through 10. 
And we see God in these verses call Samuel four times. Um, the first time we see him call him there in verse four, uh, it says, and the Lord called Samuel and he answered, here I am. And then in verse five tells us, so he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And it's something I think beautiful here about Samuel that we see is we see a quick response to respond. Now, at first here, he's obviously thinking this is Eli calling him, but I, but I do think you see here just a willingness to hear and an eagerness to respond. You know, again, it's the wee hours of the morning. You know, uh, he would rather probably be sleeping, but he hears his name called, and so he responds. He goes quickly, and he runs to see what Eli wants. Um, you know, that word translated uh, back in verse 1, it says Samuel ministered uh, before the Lord, or it means to attend to the service of God. And so we see here in this chapter, you know, Samuel had a desire to serve the Lord. And, and I think that's important as we go on through the study tonight, when it comes to hearing the word of, of the Lord, part of that is we have to have a desire for the Lord and a desire to be worshiping and serving him. And so this word, that word minister, though, that's found in verse 1 is repeated two other times back in chapter 2, both times describing Samuel. And so the word of God is making it very clear to us that Samuel had a heart for the Lord, and it was demonstrated in the fact that he desired to serve him and to minister before the Lord. So um, Samuel's response, though, in verse 4 is simply, here I am. And one commentator points out about this, it's a beautiful way to respond to God's word just to simply say, here I am. It isn't that God does not know where we are, but it tells God and reminds us we are simply before him as servants, asking what he wants us to do. And so Samuel's just, here I am. You know, he's available. He's ready to do whatever's asked of him. And what's interesting is that response of here I am, you know, is repeated by others through the Old Testament. Abraham, Jacob, and Moses all responded that way to the Lord. Ananias, in the book of Acts, when he uh, was called upon by the Lord, responded in this very similar way. And so it's just that, again, that expressing that desire is, I'm, a, I'm your servant. Here I am. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to do what's needed. Um, and this is in stark contrast to Eli's sons. Back in chapter one, uh, 2 of 1 Samuel, the first part of the verse, it says, the sons of Eli were corrupt. And um, two specific things about them that's noted in, in these chapters is, one, they were taking advantage of people as they came to worship the Lord. They were taking more than what was their share of the offerings, of the, of the sacrifice, the burnt offerings, and they were causing, as a result, God's people to despise coming to worship the Lord because these guys were taking advantage of them. And, um, and so that's the first thing about them. The second is, is that they were committing sexual immorality at the doors of the tabernacle. They were taking ladies that were there, and they were having illicit relationships with them. And so these men were corrupt. They were vile. And, and this is the atmosphere, of, if, you know, to think about, this is where Samuel was growing up at, was under these conditions where these two sons of Eli were wicked, and there was a lack of desire um, in the nation to follow the Lord, and Eli had had failures, and this is where Samuel was. This is where God chose for him to be. And I think it's a, just a side note, you know, uh, something on this is that environment can affect a person and have influence, but it doesn't determine, you know, who you are. 
you have a choice in the matter. And I think we see Samuel chose to follow the Lord despite the wicked influence that was around him. And so uh, there are verse 4 and 5 again, the first call. The second call in verses 6 and 7. And again, we see uh, Samuel showing a readiness to respond. You know, you might think he might be a little reluctant now because like, I'm being called again. He told me to go lie down. It wasn't him calling me. What's going on? But, you know, he doesn't stop. He runs again to Eli and asks, you know, here I am, and and makes himself available. And so verse 7, though, gives us some insight into what was going on here for Samuel. It tells us Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And so uh, Samuel was in this place of still having really had the experience of hearing God's voice. And so with God calling him here, he thinks that it's Eli calling. Um, And you know, verse 7 is not a negative comment about Samuel. It's just telling us this is where he was at in his understanding. He had not come to this place of of hearing the Lord's voice and knowing the Lord's voice. But his faithful service, as we've already pointed out, showed his heart for the Lord. Um, he was just young. He just didn't know the voice of the Lord yet. Um, and again, which is, this is stark contrast to Eli's sons, because they're grown men, but in verse 12 of, Second, of 1 Samuel 2, we're told they did not know the Lord. And so while Samuel said he didn't know the Lord, they didn't know the Lord, but they should have. They should have known the Lord. And, but Samuel wasn't, again, it, this was a negative comment about him. This is just in his development was where he was at. Um, but because he was still a youth, he was still a very young man. And, you know, no one's for sure really about how old Samuel is. Um, the, the, the historian Josephus uh, makes the conjecture that he is probably 12 years old. Um, the language that's used to describe him here definitely says he's young. So it could be anywhere you know, 12 to in teenage years, you know, so, but he was still a young man. He wasn't an adult at this point. Um, verses eight through nine, we have the third call. And, um, and again, we see Eli, I mean, Samuel respond, you know, okay, what, you know, if you would think, what's up? But he goes, he runs, and again, readiness and willingness to answer and to help. And, and so again, I think it just shows the heart that Samuel had to serve, the heart that had, Samuel had to be available and to be ready. And so what's interesting to me here is we have this older man, Eli, and it took him all the way to this third time to figure out that God must be speaking to Samuel. You know, it took him, it took him this long to figure it out. And I, to me, I think that's another indication of just where Eli was spiritually. He had no expectation that God was going to be speaking to anybody, much less to this young boy who he was helping to raise there in the temple. And so it took three times again before he realized that, wait a second, something's going on here. God must be speaking to Samuel. And so, um, so Eli gives him some wise advice here. He tells him in verse 9, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And just some things to note about what Eli says to him here. One, he tells him to go lie down. And so he's telling him to go be still. <laughs> go be still so, and be ready to hear the Lord should he call you again. And he tells him, secondly, to respond if he calls. You know, to respond and say, Lord, you know, here I am. Your servant hears. And he tells him really, too, to be humble because um, he says to him, 
to, to say for your servant here, you know, to recognize that I'm God's servant and that humility that I'm here ready to serve, ready to respond. And then he tells him uh, to say that he hears, and that hear, you know, means to listen, pay attention. So to be ready to respond, not just to hear with the ears. And again, reminding me of something Jesus said in the Gospels and said over, many times over in the Gospels. Jesus said in Matthew eleven fifteen. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so it's not just the physical act of using your ears to hear something. It's like actually really hearing it, paying attention to it, and being ready to respond to it, to act upon what the Lord says. And so um, in, this, in reference to speak, Lord, um, one commentator says, we must hear from God. The preacher may speak, our parents may speak, our friends may speak, our teachers may speak. Those on the radio, television may speak. That is all fine, but their voices mean nothing for eternity unless God speaks through them. And just making that connection back to how I opened the message here tonight is we have a lot of voices speaking to us, a lot of uh, information coming at us from many sources, but we need to make sure that what we're hearing is that we're hearing from the Lord that the Lord is where we want to hear from, and he is the one that we desire to hear speak to us. And so, you know, despite where Eli was, despite his failures, we at least see him, give, him, uh, give Samuel some wise advice here on how to respond to the Lord and how to be ready to hear. And so that brings us to verse 10, where uh, Samuel's now ready. He realizes this is no longer Eli, that's speaking to him. In verse 10, it says, Now the Lord came and stood and called out, called us at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak for your servant hears. And so, you know, just like the other times, the Lord called, called Samuel. This time he called his name twice. But the difference here is um, noted as well is that the Lord it says the Lord came and stood uh, in proximity. He's near him here when he calls to, when he calls to Samuel. Um, and so, you know, as you think about that, I think the reason the Lord is near, because the Lord knows now that Samuel's ready to hear. You know, he's ready to listen to what he's about to tell him. And we see a desire by Samuel, again, for God to speak. He responds just as Eli had told him to. And we see humility. And we see a desire to pay attention. He says, I'm hearing, I'm listening, I'm ready for you to tell me what you want to tell me. And this is one of the primary places we need to be in as believers, is just ready to hear what the Lord wants to say to us, ready to listen and ready to respond. And, you know, just before we go on, I just, you know, I want us to just make sure we pause and think about how amazing it is that God wants to speak to us, you know, that our Creator desires to speak to you and to me. I mean, who am I? How, you know, I'm not anybody. I'm not significant in the grand scheme of things, yet God wants to speak to me, and God wants to speak to you, and he wants you to hear his voice, and it comes back to this thing that I keep thinking of as I think about the Lord in my life is just this whole thing of the Lord's desire for relationship with us. The Lord desires relationship, and a part of any good relationship is that there's communication, right? I mean, if there's not communication between a husband and a wife or between best friends, then that relationship doesn't last. You know, that relationship crumbles. And so the Lord desires to communicate with us. He desires us to have this relationship with him and to hear from him and us to talk to him. And so 
you know, may we be as eager as Samuel was to respond to Eli, because that's who he thought he was responding to at first. May we be that eager to respond to the Lord speaking to us when the Lord speaks. Now, the message here that the Lord has for Samuel is not a pleasant message. You know, it's a message of judgment that God was going to bring to Eli and to his family. And so, you know, sometimes what God wants to speak to us about is maybe something in our life that's not right, you know, but we shouldn't shrink back and like not want him to do that because he speaks to us in our case as his children because he, you know, he loves us. And, you know, one of the things I most appreciate about my relationship with the Lord is that he's always honest with me, right? He doesn't try to candy coat it. He doesn't try to, you know, just add any fluff to it. He just tells us what, what's wrong and what needs to be corrected when there's correction that's needed. Because he loves us, he, he tells us, and he's willing to tell us. And, and so here for Samuel, you know, this is a pretty heavy message to be the first thing for you to hear from the Lord. But, um, so let's just take a little bit of time here to look at this message that God gives. I'm just going to read it again, verses 11 through 14. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel, at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So, again, it was a message that was heavy. It was not, it was not good news. God was going to judge Eli and his family, and this is not the first time that God gave this message. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 27 through 36, where an unnamed man, it just says a man of God, comes to Eli with a message about the fact that judgment was going to come because of Eli and his, the way he's handled his sons and the things that his sons are doing. And we're not given, obviously, he didn't, because this message wouldn't come again. There's no repentance. There's no change. And so the message is given again, just confirming by the, to the Lord's confirming that this is going to happen. And notice verse 13. It says there, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile and, did not, and he did not restrain them. God was going to judge Eli's family for the iniquity which he knew about. And that just struck me as here is there may have been things they did that he didn't know about, but God was holding him accountable for what he did know. There were things that he knew his sons were doing, and he did not deal with it like he should. He did not um, correct them. And in fact, in their case, they should have been removed from serving as priests because of the things they were doing. But Eli did not do that. So God's saying, I'm going to judge you for what you knew about because you didn't deal with it. And again, back in chapter 2, God there, and, and by the, the message that Eli gets, it says because you know, he honored his sons more than he honored the Lord, and that was the problem. Um, the Lord says here about them, though, in verse 13, that they were vile, and that, that word there means to declare someone as insignificant or contemptible. And so these guys were just contemptible to the Lord because they were misrepresenting the, misrepresenting the Lord, and they were taking advantage of God's people. And they, were, and they were living just as wicked as any of the nations around them would have been living. 
And so God was making it clear that he was going to deal with this. And so, you know, why give this message to Samuel? And I want to talk about it first just from Samuel's side of things. Why, why give this message to Samuel? You know, again, while it's a sobering message, you know, God had a plan for Samuel's life. And so I think one of the things is the Lord wanted Samuel to learn his voice. So that's why he's talking to him here. I want you to know what my voice sounds like. And so while this message is hard, in the process of hearing it, you're going to learn what my voice sounds like. Secondly, he would also learn that some messages from the Lord are hard to share, but still necessary to share, right? I mean, so it was a hard message, but it was a message that he was going to need to share. And we see in this chapter that he does share it with Eli. Um, and, you know, a commentator here says, Already Samuel's learning that his words will not always be easy either for him to speak or for his ear hearers to receive. But he will continue to deliver God's message without fear of the consequences and so establish God's rule in the land. And you certainly see that in Samuel's life. I mean, Samuel had some hard things to deal with. In fact, he had to go... Um, and rebuke the king of the land, Saul, for his sin. And so it, many times over through his ministry, Samuel had to speak hard things. And so right here at the beginning of his being established in ministry by the Lord, he's given this hard message to share. But also for Samuel's sake, number three, I think it'd be a message, he'd, a message he would remember in the years ahead as he fulfilled what God had for him to do. A, a reminder to him that God takes sin seriously. So, you know, again, all around him, he had witnessed people disregarding the word of God and taking God's word lightly. And Samuel was now being shown clearly by the Lord that God deals with, with sin. God doesn't take sin lightly. And so this would have been a reminder for him for the rest of his ministry that he needed to be faithful to walk with the Lord, lest this same thing happen to him. And so it was a sobering, I think, reminder for this young man as he began his, the ministry God was calling him to, and it was be something that would again serve him for years to come. And so that brings us here to um, verses 15 through 18, and he shares the message. You know, imagine being in Samuel's shoes, right, as a young boy, young man, you know, and verse 15 tells us that he was afraid to tell Eli the vision, you know, the last thing Samuel wanted to do was to give this sobering message to Eli. And I can imagine he probably didn't get much sleep the rest of the night. You know, one, from the excitement of, wow, God was speaking to me. You know, but secondly, wow, this is a serious message that the Lord has shared with me. And knowing that very well Eli was going to ask him, well, what do you tell you? <laughs> and so uh, we see Samuel in these verses get up and get busy about his, his tasks and his duties, still serving the Lord there in those verses. And again, speaking to, again, Samuel's heart and his desire just to serve and to do what God had given him to do and to minister to the Lord. But I think also wanting to be busy, perhaps, because he's wanting to avoid <laughs> the conversation with Eli that he knew was going to happen. Because he's, again, it says he was afraid, he was afraid to, to share the vision with him. So, um, secondly, I just spoke a moment ago about why give the message to Samuel. Well, secondly now, why give the message to Samuel? Um, you know, it wasn't just for his sake the message was given. It was for Eli um, that this message was given. And one, it was confirmation to Eli that God was going to do what he said. God was repeating it. And so that's confirmation. This is going to happen. 
because you've ignored me and you've disobeyed and not dealt with your, with your boys. And back when the, uh, the man of God had given him the prophecy back in chapter 2, verse 35, there it says, Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And so this is really uh, part of this, pro- this prophecy here that I'm reading is the Lord talking about Eli's family line no longer being in the priesthood and being the high priest. And, and that happened years later, uh, I believe it was under King David, where uh, the priesthood transitioned to another family, and the prophecy was completely fulfilled. And this is what the Lord was telling would happen. But it's interesting to me is that it, was, it seems like there was almost a near fulfillment, too, because he's having this young boy is given this prophecy and telling him this, and we see Samuel raised up to be the, to be the priest and the judge of the land. And, and so I don't think the prophecy was specifically speaking of Samuel, but it's just interesting that Eli's witnessing this young boy being spoken to and being given the word of the Lord. And it's because the Lord was raising him up for a purpose, and God was going to use him. And, you know, this young boy Samuel was going to oversee that transition. I mentioned it earlier, from the judges to the kings. He was going to be the one to anoint the first two kings of Israel. And um, he was the last judge of Israel, Samuel was. And so God had given him an important task. And again, I think that's in part why the Lord gave him this message. But for Eli, it had to be real sobering, right, for him to hear God speaking to Samuel and using Samuel to confirm the message that had already been given to him. You know, here's this young boy, and God's using him to confirm what I've already been told. You know, a couple things about the conversation between Eli and Samuel. I find it interesting that Eli felt the need to threaten Samuel to get him to tell him everything. He threatens him like, you know, may everything in this vision happen to you if you don't tell me. What, everything about it. And so um, I think Samuel would have told him without doing that, but for some reason he felt the need to pressure uh, Samuel to tell him. And then the other thing that I find really interesting, that to me heartbreaking, is Eli's response to the news, where he says there in verse 18, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. And that's always struck me, that response by Eli there. I mean, it's not this response that I would have hoped to see. I mean, you hear this horrible news of judgment that's coming, and there's no, like, brokenness. There's no, like, Lord, please have mercy, you know, and, 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 and be merciful to us. You know, and one commentator here says, it's hard to know if Eli's response was godly or fatalistic. We should always submit to God's rod of correction, yet this submission is not totally passive. It's also active in repentance and in doing what one can do to cultivate a godly sorrow. And so we really don't see that from him here. We don't see a godly sorrow. And, and I realize, I don't know that it would have changed what was going to happen. God said it can't be atoned for by sacrifice. God, the judgment was certain. But it would have been nice to see just the brokenness there. And, you know, it reminded me of another story, and we don't have time to read it, but 2 Chronicles chapter 33 gives us the story of Manasseh. And um, I encourage you, if you get the chance to go read this story, it's a pretty amazing story of the wickedness of a man and God's mercy. And in verse uh, 6 of chapter 33, speaking of uh, 2 Chronicles 33, it says of Manasseh, he did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. 
Yet, if you read the story, um, awful things that he did, really wicked things that he did, and God had him carried off into captivity, but in captivity, Manasseh repented and called upon the Lord and asked for forgiveness, and God showed him mercy. Despite the horrible things he did, God showed him mercy and restored him back to serve as the, the rest of his years in, as, a, as the king there in the land. And, and so I just bring that up, you know, just for Eli, if Eli would have only been broken and called out to the Lord, I think there would have been some mercy that the Lord would have shown. So that brings us back to Samuel, though, in verses 19 through 21, the result of listening to, um, to the Lord. We see there in those verses uh, but because he was in a position to hear, he was willing to hear and willing to obey, that it brought about a change in the nation and put Samuel in a place where God could use him. And so we're told four important things in these verses. One, we're told the Lord was with him there in verse 19. And you know, if you think about it, there's nothing more important than that, knowing that the Lord is with you. And so the Lord was with Samuel. Secondly, he was given a prophetic voice. We're told that the whole land from Dan to Beersheba knew that God had established him as a prophet because the things that Samuel spoke came to pass. He was hearing from the Lord and God had given him that voice to speak into the, into the lives of the nation of Israel. Third, the, we're told the Lord appeared in Shiloh again. And again, that just helps us to understand just how spiritually dark the time was in Israel is like the Lord wasn't appearing in Shiloh. This is the place where the tabernacle was at. This is the place where the sacrifices were done. This is the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. This is the place where they were supposed to be worshiping the Lord, but the Lord wasn't appearing there because of how spiritually dark the, the, the nation had become. But now the Lord is appearing there in Shiloh again, and all as a result, really, of one young boy who was ready and willing to hear the Lord and to obey him. And then, fourthly, it says the Lord revealed himself to Samuel by his word. And so, the Lord spoke to him, and he did that. He revealed himself through his word. And so, as I noted in the beginning of the study, God has been speaking since creation to mankind. And we see him speak here in 1 Samuel chapter 3 to young Samuel. And this is one of many passages in the Old Testament where God speaks to individuals and in these last days, since Christ came, things have changed, but God is still speaking. God still speaks. And so how is God speaking today? How does he speak to us? And so we're going to wrap up our time kind of talking about that and what the application for our lives is from the passage here in 1 Samuel chapter 3. So how does God speak to us today? Well, one, he speaks through his son. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5 says, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And so there God the Father declared to, to us, you know, to hear his Son. Listen to him. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, the first half of it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke, in times past through the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. And so one of the ways the Lord speaks to us today is through his Son. And uh, the Apostle John, you know, clearly wrote in the Gospel of John that, you know, in the, word, in the beginning was the Word, you know, and, and so Jesus is the Word. 
and God speaks through him, and he's the one we need to listen to. He, secondly, the Lord speaks through his spirit. John 16, 13, Jesus said, here said, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. And so Jesus there telling us the spirit was going to come, and he was going to guide us into all truth. Romans 8, 14 and 15, for as many are as led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And so, you know, as the sons and daughters of God, we have the spirit of God. And it says there, are led by the spirit of God. And so we as believers have the privilege of not only hearing from his son, but his spirit dwells with us and speaks to us to give us direction and guidance. And then... Through his word is another way in which the Lord speaks to us. And Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so God's word is alive, <laughs> and God uses it to speak to us and to guide us in our lives as believers, as his children. So we have the Son, we have the Spirit, and we have his word. And I believe these are the three primary ways the Lord speaks to us as his children. It's not to discount that there are, there are times where the Lord will speak through dreams and visions. I believe the Lord still does that. But these are the three primary ways that I think the Lord speaks to us. And, and we would do well to make sure we're paying attention and listening and ready to hear what the Lord has to say to us. And again, just and allow ourselves to be amazed that he wants to speak. He wants to direct us. Um, so just some things as we wrap up here. You know, first of all, the Lord is with you. You know, Hebrews 13, 5, the last half of it says, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the Lord is with us. He's given us his spirit. He's always with us. And he, and he wants to lead us and direct us. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all? How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And so that reminder, he loves us, right? He loves us. He gave up his son, and he's, gonna, and he's ready and willing to give us all things that we need, including direction for our lives. And so, you know, we don't have to stumble around in the darkness. We don't have to hope and guess about things. We get to hear from the Lord. We get to have him direct us because he loves us and he's with us. And it's his desire to do this. You know, he wants to guide your life. Psalm 32, 8. I like this. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. And so there the Lord's promising that he's going to instruct us and teach us in the way we should go. And he's going to guide us with his eye. And so that as you think about that, if he's going to guide you and I with his eye, that means we have to have, be looking at him, right? We have to be looking towards him for direction. Otherwise, we're not going to see where he's leading us and, and where he's directing us. But again, the promise there is that he will teach and he will guide us in the way we should go. And Isaiah 58, 11, uh, uh, repeats this similar thing. This is the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought, and strengthen your bones, and you shall be a watered garden, 
and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And so there's going to be health and life there in our lives because the Lord's going to guide us continually if we're looking to him for guidance. And, you know, we don't have to guess about the direction to go. We don't have to hope we've got it right. And we certainly never have to make decisions out of fear. And I just want to really encourage you with that tonight is, you know, don't make decisions because you're afraid. (laughs) That's not a good place to be. We're called as God's children to make decisions and, and out of faith. And in fact, Paul reminds us in Romans 14, 23, the last half of the verse says, for whatever is not from faith is sin. And so if we're making decisions out of fear, then we're, we're, we're in sin we're not, if they're not out of faith. And you know, I was reminded of, it really struck me going through uh, this last section of Genesis with uh, Jacob and when his sons had to go back the second time, you know, his attitude was one where he says, well, if I am bereaved, I'm bereaved. Speaking of if uh, Benjamin was not to come back with them. And it struck me about that is like, that's like a fatalistic kind of like, I'm leaving this up to fate kind of mindset. And, and it wasn't, so you don't see faith there. You see him just like, well, I've got to do this. And I don't know, I hope it turns out. But we're, we don't have to be like that. You know, and I, it struck me in that section in Genesis that if he would have just been worshiping Lord, the Lord between the time when his sons first came back and it was time for them to go again, he could have said confidently, I know you guys are supposed to go and I know the Lord's going to take care of you and bring you all back. He could have had confidence and faith instead of this fatalistic view of things. And it's, that is not where the Lord wants us to be. He wants us to be ones that make decisions out of faith as we seek the Lord. And, you know, the noise of the world is not going to get quieter, (laughs) in case you haven't noticed. It's not going to get quieter, sadly. I think it's probably only going to get louder. And now more than ever, we need to hear from God. And we need to hear what he's telling us to do. And so what are some things that stand out from Samuel's life in this story in 1 Samuel chapter 3? You know, one is the need to be still so you can hear the Lord. Um, You know, we have to get alone with the Lord, and we have to turn off the distractions. We have to open his word and ask and expect that he wants to speak to us, because he does. And and just on that note, I want to speak to anybody tonight who may feel like, well, the Lord doesn't speak to me. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm a failure, or or I, I don't deserve for God to speak to me. That's not true. If you're his child, he wants to speak to you. He wants to talk to you, and he wants to guide you and direct your life. So take the time. We have to take the time to be still and hear the Lord and, and shut off all the other stuff and just hear what the Lord's saying. What is he saying to you in the decisions that you're making? And, and secondly, be in a place to hear. You know, Samuel was occupied with serving the Lord. He wasn't occupied with the things of the world. And so we can get so occupied with the things of the world, and I know there's stuff we have to take care of, but we need to be occupied with serving the Lord and be in that place where we can hear, again, the Lord speaking to us and be in a place of being ready for the Lord speak to, to speak to us. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And so that's what Samuel was doing, and that's why I think he was in a place for God to speak to him, because he was about the things of the Lord. 
And so, uh, so the first two, be still so you can hear, be in a place to hear, and then lastly is be ready and quick to obey. You know, have the humility to respond like Samuel did. And, you know, one of the things that kind of struck me about the three times of uh, the Lord calling Samuel was the Lord's voice was so natural. It wasn't like Hollywood would make God's voice to be, right? Like in the, you know, the Ten Commandments or something where this voice is booming, you know, this is the Lord speaking. It was just this natural, it was natural. And that's why at Samuel at first thought it was Eli because it was so natural. And, you know, we see that uh, with uh, one of the prophets, I'm forgetting his name right now, Elijah, I think, where, you know, he goes into hiding and, um, and he's waiting to hear from the Lord and there's an earthquake and there's a wind and all these things going on and God wasn't in any of that. And then he heard the whisper and it was that God was there speaking in a whisper. And so I think God speaks to us naturally in a, in a calm way and we have to just be ready to be at a place where we can hear what he's saying. And we, again, we have to shut out the distractions, but we see be ready and quick to obey and that's what we see from Samuel here, is that he was ready and quick to obey. And um, so I just, my heart was, you know, I've been thinking in my own life, um, you know, just the importance of making sure I make decisions because I'm letting the Lord direct me. And it's so easy to make decisions based upon what we can observe and what we think we have figured out. But if we haven't heard from the Lord, we can make bad decisions. And so I want to hear from God. And I know in my life, I can think of so many times in my life where I took the time, thankfully God helped me to do this, to seek him. And, and because I did, he directed me. And I have been blessed because of that. Because the, I allowed the Lord to lead me, it brought blessing into my life. And so I just want to, again, just remind us tonight is the Lord wants to speak. You know, take the time to listen and just be still before him. And no, and you know, here again, I love the story here. He spoke to a young boy. You know, he was the least. And so again, the Lord is willing to speak to anybody who's willing to listen and ready to hear and, and obey what he has to say. So let me, let's just close in prayer here. Father, I just thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that, God, you desire to speak to our lives. And Lord, I just pray that, Lord, you would just help each of us tonight to examine our life, Lord, and see whether we've been taking the time to listen. Lord, are, we, are our lives full of the world and the world's thoughts and the world's ideas, Lord? Are we so occupied with other things, Lord, that we are not hearing what you have to say? And Lord, if that's the case, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to turn from those things and that we would Lord, set the world aside and allow you to speak into our lives, allow you to direct us, Lord. And God, I'm so thankful, Lord, that you want to direct us. And I just pray, Lord, that each of us would by faith believe that. Lord, I'm so thankful that tonight there's not a person sitting in this room or listening online or any other way who, Lord, is not uh, is someone who you wouldn't want to speak to. Lord, if we are your child, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then, Lord, you want to speak to us. You want us to have this vibrant relationship with you. And so, Lord, help us to take full advantage of that. Help us to be those that seek your face and follow your, your guidance and your direction. And Lord, we just pray that the end result is that you would get the glory and that people would see you in our lives. And Lord, I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.